Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys. We are going to continue our series this morning entitled Reassembly Required. Before we dive into that, though, let me give a quick announcement for next week. We're going to launch a brand new series entitled Demystify. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. Now, this is probably one of the most misunderstood or, or maybe lack of information about this concept of the kingdom of God, but it's something that Jesus taught about all throughout his ministry. Some like 85 different times I counted this week that he brought it up, he talked about it, it was a thread that wove all throughout his public ministry. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit because in Jesus' mind, you cannot be successful in this life without understanding the kingdom of God and your role in it. And so a lot of people don't really, they feel like, well, that's something we'll wait for after this life. I'll look forward to the kingdom of God. But Jesus talked about it is here now. It is present now at hand. It has come near. And so we'll talk about what that means and what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom starting next weekend. I think it'll be a really exciting, really unveiling kind of a series for us. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll start that next weekend. This weekend, we're going to wrap up a series we've been in for a few weeks where we've been talking about this idea. I kind of started with this analogy. It's kind of a funny idea, but I think it's true that for most people, relationships are kind of like cars. And what I mean by that is we're much better at starting them and driving them than we are at fixing them, right? Most of the stuff that we try, that we attempt, most of the tools we grab for whenever we have a conflict in a relationship with somebody don't work very well. And in past weeks, I've talked about failed attempts and how that happens and how it falls apart. But fixing relationships, the big point that I've been making over and over is not intuitive. And the reason it's not intuitive is because it requires this little thing that we are not really good at called humility, right? Because if we could be honest, we may not say this at church, but we would rather be right than humble most of the time. I mean, if I could be honest, I kind of fall into that category sometimes. That my go-to isn't like, okay, how can I be humble in this moment of conflict? No, how can I win this thing, right? And so I, I want to... Um, challenge that this morning to begin to say, okay, how do we begin to incorporate humility into our relationship? Because you have no reconciliation. You have no fixing of relationships if someone, ideally both partners in the conflict, are willing to humble themselves. But the thing about humility is that humility is not something we pop out of the womb knowing how to do very well, right? It is something we must learn. Humility is a learned skill. And ideally, we learn it from somebody that's close to us, somebody in our family. And it's something maybe that is, and if you're good at humility, it's probably because you were around somebody that was really humble and conducted themselves with humility when they were in conflicts in relationship. And you saw that. You saw mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, uncle, aunt, somebody who was willing to have the courage to own their stuff when they made a mistake. And that kind of humility is so powerful. 
And, and like a lot of things, it's more caught than taught. I mean, you can teach somebody humility, but if you're not modeling it, they're going to be like, yeah, that's a joke. I'm not doing it. You don't even do it, right? But here's the funny thing. When we model it, we make the decision, hey, we're going to start to model this in our families, in our relationships. It has a powerful ripple effect to the next generation. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we make the decision, hey, I'm going to start to model humility and reconciliation, and we're going to go over the key decisions that we have to make. Some of it's going to be a review, but I think it will be really important to have it all in one place, to hear it one more time, so we'll know how to do it. But if you commit to do this and commit to model this for others, what you're doing for the next generation it's so powerful because you are teaching them how to respond to you when there is a break or a friction point, when there is a damage to the relationship between the two of you. Wouldn't it be nice that you, if you had somebody on the other end that's also working to reconcile? That makes all the difference in the world. Also, especially if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, um, you and that relationship that you have with that child is going to be reflected. It's going to be mirrored in every future relationship that they have. I, Leslie and I have three girls. Two of them are out of the house. And um, uh, one of the realities, sobering realities that comes to my mind sometimes, for better or for worse, because I didn't always do the right thing, I didn't always say the right thing, but my relationship with my girls is going to follow them. It's going to be a part of every future relationship that they have. And my willingness to model humility is so powerful. It helps them in the future. It helps them and myself in our relationship just like it does for you. In other words, what I'm saying for you is that teaching and modeling reconciliation and humility is a multi-generational investment. It has a multi-generational impact. This is why Jesus was so adamant about this, right? And if you're a parent or grandparent, I want to challenge you. Take what I'm going to teach you today so seriously that you would commit to say, I'm going to do this. Whether you're a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle. By the way, speaking of grandparent, uh, quick announcement. Leslie and I, our daughter Allie, that got married about a year ago, we just found out she and Zach are pregnant. We're about to be grandparents in December. My sweet wife over there, I, you know, I can't, I'm still wrapping my head around Papa Will. Like, I feel like it came a little too early. Anyway, <laughs> so wherever you are in that spectrum in your family and influence that God's given you with kids around you, just know you have a much more powerful influence than you realize. Now, let me give you just a real helpful, like, how do we get started? First foothold, first step, I think could be helpful. Um, I'm going to take this kind of from uh, the kind of uh, playbook that Leslie and I did with our girls growing up, and I have to quickly give her all the props for this. She's the one that read most of the parenting books, and then she taught me, okay? I wish I could say I was reading sermon prep stuff, but uh, she was reading actually the stuff that, that we needed for our kids. So anyway, she taught me a lot of this. But it's funny when our girls were growing up, and I'm sure this kind of happened in your home too, whenever one of the girls was unkind to the other girl, right, we would go and say, hey, come over here. You need to apologize. And, and, and you probably had this happen in your home too, whether you've got boys or girls, it doesn't matter. What do the kids say? When you go, come over here, you need to apologize. It's kind of like, 
sorry. <laughs> right? Really heartfelt, right? You're like, oh, wow, that's, that's not even believable. Anyway, but we wouldn't let him off with that. Again, I gave Leslie props for that. We wouldn't let him off with that. We'd add well, a little uh, pronoun on there to, of ownership. No, 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 no. You need, to, you need to own this. I apologize. I'm sorry. It's not enough to just say sorry. It's like, no, I did something unkind, and I'm going to own that. What I said, I shouldn't have said. What I did, I shouldn't have di- done. I, I'm owning that and I'm going to ask you to forgive me for that. To be careful that we don't like start to blend over into, I'm sorry that you got so upset with me. That's not an apology, is it? That's, that's, uh, that's, defer- that's like pushing it off on them. But no, I'm owning my stuff. It's extreme ownership of your own responsibility. And this is what Jesus taught. And um, it's funny how I grew up with all brothers. This is God's sense of humor. That grew, uh, that Leslie and I have had all girls. I grew up in a house with all this testosterone, all these guys, all the time. And I remember about middle school, my dad would say, you know, like, tell your brother you're sorry. And I'd look at my brother and say, brother, you're sorry. And um, <laughs> to my point, it's not intuitive, is it? It's something we have to learn. We have to learn that kind of humility. Now, I gave a disclaimer early in this series about this reassembly and reconciliation. I said, the goal of this whole series is not reconciliation. Now, that may sound like sacrilegious to you, but here's why I say that. That reconciliation is something that is required from two different people, right? And we can't make goals for another adult person. We can only make goals for ourselves. Now, we are praying for, let me be clear, working towards everything I'm talking to you about is to try to create an environment that is conducive for reconciliation to take place. But it can't be the goal because it brings an agenda on that other person. And anytime you're in a relationship with somebody where you feel like they, find, they constantly have an agenda for you, they're always constantly trying to sell you on something, it tends to push you away, doesn't it? That's not love. And so you got to watch out for that. So the goal is not reconciliation, even though we're praying for that. The goal is no regrets. No regrets. In other words, we can look back and say, you know what, I did everything that I could With God's help, I was able to move every obstacle out of the way so that reconciliation could happen. I opened the door. I put out the welcome mat. I lowered the drawbridge of emotions. I'm like emotionally available. I'm trying to have an open door policy with this person. I'm doing everything that I can. And I'm going to continue to do that, right? This isn't just like a one-time shot. Okay, well, you didn't say yes, and I'm gone. Like, I'm going to continue to do this. But it is something that, there is no regrets. And um, what's interesting is that this is exactly what Paul challenges us with over in his letter to the church in Rome, chapter 12 of Romans, verse 18. And we've talked about this verse before. I want to give a quick little overview, quick reminder. He starts off by saying, if it's possible. What's implied here is that Paul is trying to show us sometimes it's not always possible because you don't hold all the cards in a relationship as one person. Think about a broken plate on the floor. You, you, you can repair a broken plate because you can gather up all the pieces and you can super glue it back together and you can kind of make it work, right? In a broken relationship, you don't have access to all the pieces. Some of the pieces are theirs. Some of the pieces are yours. 
Now you can be responsible for your part of it. This is why he says, as far as it depends on who? On, on you, right? If it is possible, sometimes it's not. As far as it depends on you. And I think even Paul saw in the first century, there are going to be times even, it's just not even wise, it's not even safe for you. Sometimes the people you got an out with, there's a brokenness in the relationship, they're abusive. They're abusive physically or emotionally, and they, every time you're around them, it's just like a nightmare. And you may, for that reason, need to take a step back. And you may need to say, I got to have some healthy boundaries because this is just too, it's too hard on my family. It's too hard. Now, let's, let's admit collectively that is the way minority. That's not most relationships. Most relationships fall into a category of it's just inconvenient, frustrating, difficult, not something I want to do to reconcile. But it's doable. He says, as far as it depends on you, like you got you to gotta show up with some desire and some commitment and some perseverance and some grit to say, I'm not going to give up easily. I'm going to continue to show love. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He's saying, listen, I want you to be willing to be that person, to move those obstacles out of the way, to be ready and willing and available for God to use you to reconcile that relationship when God opens that door. And it might not be right away. And it might take time. And it might take repeated um, effort and, and uh, initiative on your part. And we talked about this idea early in the series that reassembly begins with us regardless of who initiated the fuss. It starts with us as followers of Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a Christian today, Jesus is calling us to do this and to make this a part of, a regular part of our life. We're going to unpack this as we go through the message today. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to give you three reassembly decisions that you need to make, I have to make, any person's going to make if they are going to reassemble or to reconcile in a relationship, okay? So I want you to begin to think about who is that guy, that girl, somebody in your family, somebody you work with, an old friend, maybe somebody you've been estranged from for some time that maybe you need to reach out to. Maybe God will begin to say, nudge on your heart, you need to talk to them. You need to reach out to them. So here's the first decision. We've talked about this already. We have to make a commitment, a decision that I will get back to, not get back at. I'm going to get back to them, not to get back at them. And we do this, we talked about this early on, we're doing this because our Father in Heaven has called us into a relationship with Him and now says, I want you to treat and to love other people the way I love you. Jesus even told us as much in John chapter 13, verse 34 through 33, a new command I give you, you must love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciple, not Christian, right? Christian, that's a, that's a cultural word that we use, but Jesus always said disciple, which means follower. Like, you're actually going to do what I do, right? All people will know you're my disciple if you love one another, if you love the way I love. And so this is what he's talking about here. He, he was willing to, he wanted us to begin to unpack that in our relationships with one another. So, 
I want us to take a look at John chapter 3. This is where Jesus teaches this, if we could distill it down into one verse. John chapter 3, verse 17. Now, it's right after the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 16, right? Not many people read the next verse, but John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, and if we could, let's read the highlighted words together. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn, but to save. You see, Jesus came on behalf of God, God in the flesh, in other words. He came to earth not to get back at us, to condemn us, but to get back to us, to save us. He came near to us, even though arguably he had all kinds of grounds to come to us and say, you people have made a mess of things down here. You can't, even, you can't even live your own life very well, much less your society and everything else. It's, just, it's all falling apart. He could have easily come and pointed the finger and says, my judgment and wrath will fall upon you. But instead, Jesus said, I will let it fall upon me. I will take that on your behalf. But here's the thing. If you receive that forgiveness and you become my child, wonderful. Now I want you to go out and be that and share that with other people. I want you to, you're not just a reservoir just to hold God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy, but that you are a conduit through which I can flow into the lives of other people. I can begin to impact them around you. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And later the apostle Paul takes this idea from Jesus and he explains it further in his letter to the church at Corinth, his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what he says starting with verse 18. He says, "And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation." In other words, the assignment of reconciliation. He wants us to go out and do for others what he, through Christ, has done for us. I want you to go and love them. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to the earth and he removed the greatest obstacle between us and him that blocked us from a relationship with God. And that blocker was our sin. And he was willing to move it out of the way so that we might know him and now he turns to us and says, go and do likewise. Verse 19, here's what he says. Paul continues to write, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now, this is so important for us to understand. I cannot reconcile with you if I'm counting your sins against you. I cannot be right in my relationship with you if I'm still reminding you of all the times you have failed me, hurt me, broken my heart, damaged our relationship. I got to forgive that. I got to let it go. There is no reconciliation. He's showing us what God in Christ has done for you. You must, and he will empower you to do this, you must do for other people. And he goes on to say, he says, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And God has given us this opportunity 
to go out and share this incredible message that you could be forgiven of all your sins through Christ and you could be reconciled to God. Now, notice this. It's not enough to God to just forgive you, although forgiveness is, is a key component of reconciliation. But God didn't just stop with just forgiveness. He didn't just move, sit out of the way and say, okay, done. Arguably, God already had a forgive you from your sin system of the Old Testament. All of the animal sacrifice at the temple, that took care of sin, but he didn't have a people, he didn't have children, he didn't have a, a close, intimate love relationship with his people where he could walk with them every day. They could know him, and they could have his power and presence, the Holy Spirit with them at all times. That's what God wanted. And he says, it's not enough for me just to forgive. I could have forgiven from heaven, but I couldn't reconcile from there. I, 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 can, I can forgive from afar away. You know, we can sit in our mind and go, God, I forgive them, right? You can't reconcile from the, your mind. So much of the time, we want to internalize religion, just make it all, it's all in here, God, I believe you, I trust you, I forgive them, I'm good, right, God? And he would say, nope, you're not good. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. He always taught us this faith ought to change the way we live in community with people around us. If you're not willing to love other people, then maybe it sounds like you have not really understood the gospel yet. You really don't get what God through Christ has done for you if you're not willing to forgive somebody else. Think about this for a second. Like God says when he saw Jesus dying on the cross, giving his life for the sins of all of us, he says that's enough. That covers all of it for you guys. That is a good enough payment that will take care of all sin for all time. And for us to be unwilling to forgive another person, we look at that and say, it's good enough for God, but not good enough for me. I'm still going to hold your sins against you. Who are we to do that? You really haven't understood the gospel. You haven't understood how much you've been forgiven. You haven't, forget, you haven't even begun to conceive of what God in Christ has done for you. This reconciliation ought to knock you to your knees in humility and say, absolutely, who am I to withhold from anybody? Forgiveness. It's so powerful. Here's the second decision we have to make. We have to own our own plank. Own my plank. Now, what am I talking about? Over in Matthew chapter 7, right towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sermons of all time, uh, I think it's verses 3 through 5 right there, where Jesus basically says, hey, you know when you see something wrong in someone else's life? He says, let me give you a little metaphor to think about. It's almost like you see a speck of sawdust in their eye. But yet, what you don't realize, a lot of people don't realize, is that you have a two-by-four, a plank, in your own eye, right here, like this. And this is Jesus, I think. It's just like him, you know, Comedy Central, Jesus. Like, he's like, he's making a joke here. He's going, imagine this for a minute. You got this guy with the big log eye, the big plank eye, and two-by-four sticking out of his eye, and he's like, hey, come here. This is really embarrassing for you. You got this sin that I need to point out to you. I need to help. Come here. Let me get that speck out of your eye, right? Like, try not to let the two-by-four get in the way. All right, come here. Come closer, you know. Like, he's going, no, 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 no. First, of first importance, remove the plank from your own eye, then, this just makes sense, right? You will see clearly the relationship and how to talk to the other person. 
This was Jesus basically saying, when you sit down to have that reconciliatory kind of relationship or or conversation rather with someone to try to move the relationship forward, first thing you need to have come out of your mouth is I am so sorry for the part of this I have done to you. I'm so sorry for the damage I caused with the things I said, with the things I've done, for the coldness I've had, where I didn't return your calls or your texts, and I've been, I didn't know how to respond, but I was ugly, and I I shouldn't have done, you own it, you own your stuff, it's the same thing we try to teach our kids, I'm sorry, I apologize for what I did, it's extreme ownership of your own life and choices, responsibility and behavior. And is there ever a time when our world needs this more than right now where people will start to own their own stuff and say, I'm sorry, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all of the things. Now, I'm not going to claim responsibility for everything the other person did, but I need to start by owning my stuff. And here's the interesting thing. If we will start by owning our stuff, many times it unlocks the ability for the other person to own theirs. Now, it's not a guarantee, and it won't happen every single time, but I have seen it so many times in my own life. I've heard people tell me stories that when I finally got humble enough to say, look, I'm so sorry for what I said way back the thing I wrote to you when I was mad, I shouldn't have, it was so hurtful, I wasn't fair, I wasn't behaving like Jesus at all, right? I let stuff fly out of my, I did things I shouldn't have done. When you do that, it tends to empower the other person's ability to say, you know what, now that you've mentioned it, I got some things I need to share too, that I did too. And the moment that starts to happen, the moment that that mutual Humility, mutual submission, submit therefore to one another out of reverence for Christ, you know, Ephesians 5. When that starts to happen, all of a sudden there's a spark of hope. Now there's a possibility of this thing being healed. There's a, there's a way forward. But somebody's got to start it. Somebody has to be the initiator. And this brings us to decision number three. Who, uh, pardon me, I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I will make the first move. It's a step of faith. It's scary. It's uncertain. Jesus taught this many times, but I want to point your attention to one in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 where he's talking about his people, the Jewish people, coming to the temple in Jerusalem and bringing their offering to the temple. Here's what he said, verse 23. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And he's talking about this long, arduous journey from wherever their homelands were to Jerusalem, to the temple. Now think about this. They had to take off work. They got to gather up the kids. There's a long, like, walking all the way to Jerusalem. You can't, like, call ahead and make reservations, right? There's no fast passes for that line. You got to get in line. It's an all-day thing. And you are waiting with your sacrifice so you get to the temple to be able to make the sacrifice. Now, what's interesting about the way Jesus is talking about this sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice for their sin. This is a different kind of sacrifice. This is a sacrifice out of gratitude for something that God has done for them on their behalf or for their family. 
It's like celebrating God. It's like saying, thank you, God. You are so good and gracious and merciful to us. You blessed our crops. You blessed us with a new baby. You blessed us with whatever. And we're just here to recognize that's from you. Thank you. We praise you for that. And Jesus is saying, this is a good thing. Like, this is wonderful. This pleases God. Then he's saying, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and then he tells us this, this next part. He says, and there it occurs to you, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Your brother or sister has something against you. Jesus is intentionally, I believe, vague here. Intentionally um, kind of mystical in the sense that he's not assigning blame to anybody necessarily. He's just saying, look, something's wrong in the relationship. There is an unresolved conflict in the relationship. So you're there, you're getting ready to worship God. Maybe for us today, it's I'm getting ready to pray, I'm getting ready to have my quiet time, my devotion time before God. I'm coming to church, I'm coming to worship Him, I'm getting ready to give my offering or my tithe. I'm getting ready to pause for just a minute and say, God, is there anybody that, that I've got a conflict with? Is somebody that's got something against me or Vice versa, is there a conflict there? And it's like Jesus is saying, and if people start coming to mind, don't think that's just like happenstance. Don't think that that's just like um, accidental. That the Holy Spirit will bring people to mind that you need to pay attention to. And he says, next, he says, again, I want you to leave. He says, I want you to go, uh, leave your gift there in front of the altar so I want you to leave your gift there. If God brings this to mind, I want you to go to the other person. I'm sure the people of his day, and you may be thinking too, like, oh, really, Jesus? Like, I made it all the way here. Like, I'm, I'm like at the temple. I'm getting ready to do this. He says, no, I want you to leave your gift there. And first, as in first importance, as, as in first, like, this is more important than the thing you came to do. I want you to do this first. First, go and be reconciled to them. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you telling us to put people, others above God? Is that what you're saying? Jesus would say, no, that's not at all what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that to put, in order to put God first, you have to reconcile, at least attempt, with those he loves. And God in Christ has made available salvation to all people. God loves your family, your spouse, whether that's with your spouse, it's a friend, it's a coworker, it's your boss, whether that's with your enemy, Jesus taught. I want you to go and attempt reconciliation. I want you to go and try this, do this, because this is what it means to be my disciple. And he says, and then, then come and offer your gift. Like your gift, that's wonderful. But I want you to go and get your heart right. Get it aligned with God's heart. Be at least willing to attempt. Go and do for them what God in Christ has done for you. It's so powerful. It's life-changing. And I, I know it, it's easy to go back to that idea of saying, well, God isn't, I mean, Jesus, isn't it just, isn't it enough that I could just forgive him in my head? Like, and just, I'm going to believe in you. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what it means to be my disciple. I want you to attempt. 
I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want every one of my people to do this. And if you do this, your relationship with God will break forth. Like, this is a breakthrough. Some of you may have been praying for a breakthrough in your relationship with God for some time, and this may be it. God may be going, hello, I hope you're paying attention, because this is the thing. You've been unwilling to have that conversation with him or her, but this is the thing that's going to break forth. This is the thing that's going to redefine I want you to go beyond mere forgiveness and move towards reconciliation just like I did for you. I want you to extend to them what I've extended to you. Let me just say, if you are not a believer today, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, can I ask you to just consider something right now? Many times, broken faith in our life is attached to broken relationships. It, this is hard to recognize in ourselves sometimes. It's even harder to admit sometimes. But sometimes when we say that the, the time I walked away from God or the church or all of it, it was because of what they did, what they said. And it was so unchristian. It was so unkind. It was so horrible that nobody would blame you for it. Like it's like, it feels justified. But you need to hear the heart of the Father God in heaven. He would say, what you walked away from is not me. What you walked away, the Christianity that repelled you, repulsed you, is not me. I'm inviting you back into a loving relationship. I'm inviting you right now. I want more than just forgiveness for you. I want reconciliation. I want you to be my child. And it will change everything. I love how the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He was very straightforward. He says, we implore you we encourage you. We exhort you on behalf, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you're not a believer today, absolutely, I would love to see you reconciled with your friends and family and those that you are in outs with. But more importantly than all of that, my prayer for you, my encouragement is that you would be reconciled to your Father in heaven. You would come to know Him, that you would come to know Jesus as your Lord. And you would receive that reconciliation, that ministry and message of reconciliation, that gospel that Jesus came to bring, that we can be forgiven and we can know him, walk with him every single day. It's beautiful. It's powerful. But those of you who are believers today, I hope and pray, my prayer for you as we get ready to wrap up, is that you would be willing to say, mere forgiveness is not enough anymore. I've got to take the next step towards reconciliation, whatever that looks like. It's starting with a conversation of saying, I'll go first. Here's my humility. I'm going to admit what I did. I'm going to extreme ownership. I'm going to admit what I did wrong. Man, that you want to talk about like next level discipleship, maturity in Christ, that not many people with lots of knowledge, seminary degrees, even professional ministers, many times are not willing to do. That's it. This is the part I played. I'm asking your forgiveness. And if you will start there, wow, miracles can happen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.